Have you ever found yourself feeling powerless in a relationship? Or do you find yourself always feeling the need to help the other person or try and rescue them? Today, we're going to be talking about the drama triangle, so stay tuned. If you'd like to find out more about how to improve your relationships or even find a fulfilling relationship, head over to therelationshipmaze.com. And if you'd like to get more about this podcast, head over to therelationshipmazepodcast.com. And make sure you press subscribe right now so you can hear every episode. Well, welcome to today's episode of The Relationship Maze. And today we're going to be talking about a very useful model that uh, helps you to understand what happens in the dynamics when there is conflict in a relationship. In your relationship, it can also be applied to conflict in the wider sense, conflict with any other person, for example, at work, etc. And the model that we're talking about is Cartman's Drama Triangle which looks at the kind of specific roles that we take up when we are in a situation where there's conflict. And very often these roles are kind of very well rehearsed, they're very familiar roles that we step into, uh, and that keep us stuck in particular positions that are often very, very unhelpful. Yeah, and this is really important because you may have found yourself stuck in some of these positions from time to time. Like maybe you know somebody who seems to always feel helpless in their life, whether that's in a relationship or at work. Uh, somebody who always feels that there's nothing that they do seems to make a difference and they get stuck in this very, this, the role of what we might call victim. And, and then there's often the person who is always trying to help. And I don't know about you, Angela, but I've mm. seen a lot of people who seem to always feel that they're helping other people in relationships. Mm. They, they feel the need to look after them and care for them. And they're putting so much energy in. But the, often the result is they get exhausted yeah. because they're putting <clears throat> so much in. But it's like you know, they just have to look after the other person. Yeah, that's the that's the rescue role, or there's also and yeah, and, and interesting, and we come back uh, to looking at these roles in a little bit more detail in a minute. But lots of people who go into the field that we're working in, for example, as therapists, they tend to be typical rescuers. You know, they want to help other people and support other people. Yeah, and then the the last position that we're going to look at today is the role of the the aggressor, so to speak, the persecutor, the person who um, who makes demands. Uh, who blames all the time, who says, well, you know, you're not doing well enough here, it's all your fault over there. Um, that's the sort of persecutory role, that's uh, the last role that we want to look at. So these are the three roles in particular that are part of Cartman's uh, drama triangle. And it might be quite helpful if you, <clears throat> for you to kind of actually draw a, a triangle or visualize a, an upside-down triangle and to look at the, the top uh, left uh, part of the triangle would be the persecutor, the top right part of the triangle would be the rescuer, and at the bottom of the triangle, the tip of the triangle, is the victim. So kind of just sort of try to picture that, that might help you to visualize it a little bit more. So it might be helpful to look in, in a bit more detail at these particular roles that we can take up maybe starting with what which one should we yeah start well with? actually just before we do that as well i think it's also really important to remember that these are roles yes. it's not the person so yes. people may take on roles but it doesn't mean that they are this and and we all may 
differ like in different positions on this triangle from time to time so there may be times we find ourselves in in that victim role mm-hmm. um but there there may be time you know depending on what happens in our lives there may be even just moments it could even be minutes and then then we move into another role maybe the kind of rescuer and yeah. sometimes a persecutor and these are different roles and remembering as well that's important to know that people are not their behaviors no. so people do behaviors uh, but it doesn't mean that that's them. People are, you know, there's much more to people than what we see in them. Yeah, yeah. and also I think what's interesting is that uh, Karpman himself, uh, Karpman incidentally, he was a, a, a student of Eric Byrne who developed transaction analysis. And Karpman was, um, he was also interested in drama. He actually studied drama. And he very specifically called this the drama triangle rather than the conflict triangle. Because what he wanted to emphasize is that this is not real, so to speak. It's a role that we play. It's not who we are. It's not necessarily a reality. It's kind of a perception. So, for example, somebody who always steps into the victim role is not really a victim, but they're playing the role of the victim. They identify with this particular way of being. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that means it's also it's something that can change. You don't have to be in one of these, even though no. sometimes, particularly in the victim role, it feels like you don't have a choice because that victim role is about that, where we feel that we're kind of, none of our actions have a consequence. Mm. But it's remembering, you know, that we these are roles, we can switch between them. Absolutely. So, So like you said, Angela, maybe we should talk a bit more about the roles. So, so start with the victim, or uh, yeah. So we could talk about um, we could talk about the victim first of all. So yeah, so that's sort of somebody who. So that's sort of having the sense of if you experience yourself uh, in the victim role or being a victim in the relationship with the other person, then generally you have this kind of sense that you're a bit helpless. You can't really change things. You're powerless. You're hopeless. Uh, very often, um, when you're in this victim role, you feel like you are oppressed by the other person, well, victimized by the other person. Um, you can't make decision, you can't move forward, so you need another person to kind of drag you out of this particular predicament. Yeah, so, and there are times, of course, in life where, you know, we experience really d- difficult situations. Mm. So, you know, we, you know, for example, if we lose a job, if we lose a relationship... Yeah, it's quite natural at a point to feel that at some level that oh, there's nothing I can do, the world's against me. Mm. But the question is, how long do you stay there? Yeah. And we know that some people don't. Some people uh, quite rapidly even will kind of think, well, actually, I'm going to change this in my life. I'm not going to stay in this situation. I'm going to do something about it. Yeah, it's like true. when you get to the end of a relationship, is it like, oh, nobody loves me. I'm never going to find a relationship, so I'm just going to stay at home. Or is it... Well, that clearly wasn't the right relationship. Mm. I'm going to find another one that is the right one for me. So depending on that mentality is all about that victim role. So we're talking about victim in terms of how you respond to situations, Mm. not the actual situation. So in a situation you may seem, we may perceive that this is a victim of a crime because you have a victim of a crime. Mm. But that victim of a crime, what we're talking about here is not... Mm. That victim, in, as in because of a situation, but in terms of how they respond to yeah. it. Yeah. So is it, I'm going to be empowered in my response, or I'm going to be stuck with being the, being a victim internally as well as externally? 
Yeah, because it's very often uh, with these three positions that are described in this triangle, we, we tend to, or most people tend to, have a particular position that they take very frequently. And this is what's of, in, of interest here, absolutely. So it's sort of very often, habitually, we might uh, step more into one role than the other. So we might very often like feel like the victim and have this sort of attitude of, poor me, yeah? It's always somebody else's. It's also... It, what what goes hand in hand with the victim role is the sense of it's always somebody else's fault over there and I'm the one who can't really help it here. Yeah, everyone's against me, that kind of attitude. So it's an attitude, it's a perspective that people take up. Yeah, absolutely. And and these perspectives interlock. So then we have the other position of the rescuer. So the rescuer essentially is it's like that person that has that sort of the nice guy sort of image or nice person. Yeah. Um, but essentially within this is, is an element of control as well. Mm-hmm. So it's about this person always feels that they need to help and they, they basically hook onto the victim. Mm-hmm. So exactly. they find somebody who seems powerless and then they see somebody who seems to feel that they're overwhelmed. Um, this person who feels like the world's against them and the rescuer says, I can help. You know, just just do what I say and kind of just follow me and everything will be fine or I can save you. Yeah, because it also quite sort of helpfully sort of uh, redirects the, the, the problems away from the rescuer. So it's this sense of, well, you know, I don't really have the problems here. Other people have problems and I can help them. So it, it gives, it puts the rescuer often into a position of power. And I think that's often why people go into these kind of helping roles also. I mentioned working as a therapist. We know that lots of therapists um, want to redirect uh, away from their own problems and focus on other people's problems. Uh, so that's what the rescuer role offers. And as you say, it's the classic combination between victim and rescuer that very often presents itself in relationships. Yeah, and and even at the beginning of a relationship, these dynamics can be set up. Mm-hmm. So we see we might fall into this role, and and sometimes it works because the the rescuer is the person with that sort of big, strong, good, nice image, uh, whereas the victim it essentially is at some level saying, "I I want to, I agree to be overwhelmed, I agree mm-hmm. to, I I can't manage." So the rescuer, as a result, helps and they feel needed, they feel important and in charge. And I think some of those things are key, is that the rescuer often has that need to feel important. They need to feel needed. And by being in that role, it works. And this can, be in a relationship, it can mean that people are happy a lot of the time. However, it can, it can often have quite a... an uncomfortable dynamic underneath it where particularly the victim is is always disempowered Uh, and the rescuer essentially often gets fed up as well because they think well I don't want to always be looking after this person I want somebody to look after me yes and they can flip it could flip that's often the case as well that the rescuer at some point gets really fed up with constantly looking after this needy partner and being there for them so they can then flip and become the victim themselves, which is interesting. Um, so they can then feel like, oh, you know, poor me, I'm always looking after everyone, no one is there for me. Uh, so that's interesting in, in, the, in the dynamic. And that can also sometimes, in a relationship, enable the victim then to step into the rescuer role and say, okay, let me look after you for a while. But these are not healthy positions because mm. they, are, they are sort of exaggerated positions. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I think often 
and when I see it more frequently, I think, is that often the rescuer will actually move into the persecutor role sometimes. Oh, where we haven't talked basic- about the persecutor. Yeah, yes, so we're yes. going to talk about yeah. that. So basically, you know, if a rescuer gets tired of doing everything, mm. you know, they feel like they're taking on everything. And, and above all, that the other person isn't giving back. And I've seen this with a lot of people over the years that I've worked with, where they just feel the other person doesn't give back. They do everything. They're not appreciated. And they're doing so much and it's mm. so tiring. Mm. And as you listen here, maybe you've experienced this role yourself or you know people who fall into this role. Um, so just beginning to notice this. And so the rescuer might get angry, they get resentful. They, so they shift into the persecutor role where you know, they get really maybe angry, even about my, minor things. And, and essentially, you know, they, they feel like you know, they've been putting up with everything. So they start to say... Why can't you do anything? Are you useless? So you, they might get blaming. So the persecutor role often, you know, it's very blaming, very kind of mm. angry often. Yes. So the persecutor is a, that part, that role that you step into where, uh, where you are the oppressor. So where the victim is the one who's being oppressed, the persecutor oppresses. It's the kind of authoritarian, authoritative voice, so to speak. And uh, you might remember those of you who have listened to our earlier podcast about transactional analysis where we talk about parent-adult-child roles. So the persecutor is often in the role of the the parental role, the voice of authority, telling um, the other person what to do, being critical, often coming in with value judgments, uh, and being quite self-righteous very often, and superior, and I think this is important. It's this sort of... Uh, it's this uh, role where they are superior to to the victim, and the victim is the in the inferior role in the relationship. So the persecutor, yes. Yeah, so we can all um, we can have. So as I said earlier on, we can kind of have a natural disposition towards one of these roles, but equally we can all at different points in the relationship step into these different roles because these roles can shift. The dynamics can shift. So the victim can become the persecutor, as you said, Tom. And very often victims, it's quite interesting, somebody who's more typically in the victim role, they are often not very overtly aggressive with their partner. They often tend to be a bit more passive-aggressive. Yeah? Yeah. They come in with these sort of uh, persecutory remarks which are sort of a little bit more hidden. Yeah. Yeah? Or they might sulk, for example. Sulking is a perfect way of being persecutory, Mm. Uh, and uh, you know, and kind of bl- uh, basically punishing your partner. I, mean, I think sometimes the persecutor role is not just about superiority. Actually, sometimes it's about feeling everything's unfair mm. and trying to do- trying to yeah. exercise some sort of control. So it's like you know, the the message could be, for example, that they're giving to the other person that they've been looking after is. Why can't you do something for yourself? Why do I have to do everything? Why don't you appreciate what I'm doing for you? So it's that feeling of being unfair, feeling of unfairness. And, um, and we'll talk more about this in a minute as well, because sometimes your behaviour could be the persecutor, but in your mind you think you're the victim. So we'll talk about that as well. But basically, you know, when a persecutor, when the, when the rescuer, for example, goes into the persecutor role... The victim could get scared and then move up to the rescuer role where then suddenly they're being told, why can't you do something? And the victim suddenly starts to pacify by saying, well, I'm sorry, I didn't realise. I really do appreciate you. I'll do better. And then 
basically there's this kind of shift as well from the victim to uh, the rescuer where they're trying to kind of resolve things, trying to save things. Mm. Then the persecutor might feel bad about that and go down to the victim position and get depressed. So we can see that, you know, things can shift quite dramatically. Mm. Uh, What's also really interesting, um, I think, in terms of kind of reflecting on the drama triangle is to, to think about where... Do these roles that we naturally go to? Where do they come from? And very often they come from, of course, uh, from our from the roles that we learn to play in our family of origin. So, for example, if you are a child that is often in the mediator role between parents who are arguing all the time, you are more likely to have um, a rescuer role um, that you develop uh, in, in all sorts of t- uh, relationships. Often this is, and you can't generalize this, but very often this might be particularly true of the oldest child in the family or, or if there's an only child in the family. So the, the child that steps into the role of looking after the parents when there's difficulties. Um, and similarly, if you are, if you are, if you are experiences of a, a very uh, authoritarian parents, for example, is true, then you're more likely to always be in this victim role. Or if you are, also if you have grown up in a family where there's a lot of depression, that's often my experience, where mum and dad, mum or dad, are very depressed, there is often this kind of narrative around victimhood. So that might be picked up by someone as well. The poor me, yeah, the world is against me, that sort of um, way of thinking often comes from, from that perspective. Yeah. And and sometimes it flips the other way. So you may have sort of um, an abusive parent or somebody who's very, very authoritarian, like you said, and uh, the child may become the victim, but they may also then decide, I'm not going to take this, and they end up in the persecutor role. Yeah. So that can also flip the other way as well. Uh, and, and I think one of the things that I've seen as well with, uh, for example, some people that go on assertiveness training that doesn't make it very clear mm-hmm. is the person might go on an assertiveness training because they feel in the victim role, but they misinterpret the concept of assertiveness and take it as aggressiveness yes. and end up becoming a persecutor when they don't really want to be in that role, yes. but they don't realise that their message comes across in an aggressive way as opposed to assertive. Mm-hmm. So there's a difference between saying, you know, no, I, I don't want to do that, as opposed to, how dare you ask me to do that? I'm not doing that. Yeah. Which is, you know, the, the way that we say something can easily flip into a different role. And I think this is the thing, if you've ever... If you ever read about assertiveness skills, it's knowing that assertiveness is about staying kind of emotionally stable and in control, but not being, not getting into that persecutor role where it starts to become aggressive. Yeah, absolutely. This is really good. So really, <coughs> what you want to do, uh, and maybe we can talk about this a little bit more in terms of like, how do we step out of these roles? Because that's really what, we, what we're looking at here uh, in order to change the dynamics um, first of all, of course, as always, it's about bringing it, bringing it into your awareness. Is there a particular role that I often act out in my relationship? Do I notice that I'm often the victim? Do I, do I notice that I'm often the rescuer? And then, uh, notice, uh, and then the next step, of course, is to, to step away from this, to create a little bit more distance, to kind of stop playing particular games. So, for example, if you always play the poor me game as the victim, you have to learn ultimately to take more responsibility, to move more 
away from this sort of child's position in their relationship to a more adult position. And again, we've talked about this in our transactional analysis podcast that you might want to listen to again as well to understand a bit more. So it's it's moving into the position of I can take responsibility. Um, yes, it's hard. It is hard sometimes to make decisions. Um, and uh, it is also hard sometimes to hear that my partner might not be delighted with everything that I do or that I say. But can I develop a different perspective here? Do I always need to see everything as an attack on me? Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think, like Angela said, it, it is hard. It can be hard. And, you know, knowing this is one thing, changing it can be trickier. And that's why sometimes therapy could be really useful to help mm. with this or other types of personal development, journaling. Uh, sometimes exploring, you know, where these patterns come from is useful because it helps you understand that you learned this role for a reason. Absolutely. Like maybe because your parents argued, you felt you had to rescue them. And when you understand that, we start to think, well, okay, yeah, but I'm not a child now. You know, I'm actually an adult. And as an adult, I have different resources. That was an old way of behaving that I learned and anything that you learn, you can also change. So you can learn something else. Yeah. So remembering that you're not born like that. You learned it. And anything that's learned can be relearned. Yes. Well, yeah, I, mean, I don't, actually, I don't think... Well, yeah, sometimes, yeah, I, I don't think you can ever unlearn something, no. really. That's You've got true. the pattern there, but basically you can have a new learning mm. to replace the old one. Mm. But there will always be a tendency to sometimes for the brain's wiring to go back to that old way, but you recognise that and then you can do something about it. Yeah. Uh, and looking at the responsibility of the the persecutor, the, the persecutor often is the one who does a lot of blaming. Well, I mean, I suppose victims do that as well, but persecutors in particular are very, can be very aggressive in saying it's all your fault. So the responsibilities are quite similar to, uh, to what we would uh, expect the victim to do, which is this idea of taking responsibility. I mean, generally speaking, what we always want to create here, to create more balance and to step out of the drama triangle, is to uh, develop a relationship which is formed by two adults, rather than, for example, an adult, uh, a, a parent or a child, yeah, sort of like somebody who's in this authoritarian position and somebody who's in this helpless position. So how can we interact here as two adults? How can we both take responsibility for behavior that might be very unhelpful? And for the persecutor to think, well, hang on, you know, what is it that is making me so angry here? Why am I getting so wound up by my partner? What is it that they're actually doing? Or why am I responding to this? And what is it that I'm contributing to this relationship that is particularly unhelpful as well? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and noticing, like you said, you're noticing when you're in these roles is that first step. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, in, in when we get into the rescuer role is just recognising that by being the rescuer, we disempower the other person. We, we help them stay in that role mm-hmm. and thinking, what can we do or how can we ask the other person to help how can we help to get them to realize that they can take action Mm -hmm. that they can do something and knowing that actually even though it can be tough if you've been in these roles for a long time but helping that person to take some responsibility is helping them because ultimately the only person that can really improve their lives is you Mm. 
Well, I mean, you as the person, not yeah. not you helping someone else's life, but you know, we we're the only people that can ultimately make that change in our lives. And helping someone to realise that mm. they are the they are that kind of main agent in change is is really important. And it's also recognizing that there isn't the power. It's also stepping away from the power dynamic because if you are in the helping role, you also step into the role of uh, superiority to some extent. I'm the one who can help here. So it's kind of recognizing that this is not a one-down kind of relationship, but one of equality. It's about being caring. Yes, you can care for the other person, but you don't overstep the mark with the caring. You keep the boundaries, so to speak. Boundaries are important in this context. So you, 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 do, you, you do a little bit, you, you, you step into the role maybe sometimes of facilitating for the other person but not doing everything for them, for example. Yeah, and I think also expressing when you're feeling, actually, I really would appreciate if you could help me today. Or I'd really like to be looked after today. Expressing mm-hmm. that and expressing when you're tired and think, I'm just, you know, I've, I've just feeling exhausted. I just don't feel like, you know, just expressing when you feel you've done enough and actually not just holding it in until it becomes an anger and resentment, actually talking about it. And I think sometimes being quite willing to switch roles, it's not that you have to not be in a role, but some days it might be like, actually, you be, you want to, the other person to look after you and, you know, like you're unwell or something or feeling stressed. But it's if you stay in that, it's the problem. It's fine to be in those roles sometimes, but just knowing that there's flexibility to move around. And I think another important aspect here uh, that you've just touched on is that there's often an underlying assumption that the other person can read your mind, that your partner can read your mind and knows what it is that you you want. So very often uh, we step into these positions when when we feel hurt, yeah, when we feel like, well, but I... Does, does my partner not recognize that this is my need at this point in time, at this moment? Why are they not giving me what I need? Uh, and an assumption that the partner knows what's going on, knows exactly what you're feeling, thinking, etc. So if in doubt, it always really helps. And I think this is another step towards taking more responsibility and being more adults in the relationship. It helps to kind of name what it is that you need. Ask your partner. If you want to be listened to in a particular moment of the day, let your partner know that this is what you need. Yeah, and actually when Angela said that, just notice what came up for you about thinking about expressing that. Because mm-hmm. I've experienced this with people that I've worked with where you know, suddenly you say, well, do you tell them and explain the importance of saying? And they, it's like, well, no, but they should know. I've been with them for years. It's like, why should I tell them? It just shows they don't care about me if I have to tell them yeah. and think... What role are you in there? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So you put yourself into a role. It's like, you know, we don't know what's going on in someone else's mind. No, we never know. I mean, we can only ever try to approximate what's happening in somebody else's mind, but we never know entirely. Not even our partner of God knows how many years. Yes. Yeah, not even Darren Brown, the sort of a <laughs> mentalist on television, if you know who that is. <laughs> Absolutely. Nobody does. So, so it does need to be expressed. That's uh, a really important takeaway message from today's episode as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, just kind of just making sure, you know, thinking about right now, what could you do after listening to this that can make a difference in, in your relationships? Like, where do you tend to find yourself when you go into a relationship if you're single? Mm-hmm. Um, do you notice patterns that you tend to be in a certain role? And thinking, you yeah, where does that come from? And do I want to be here? How can I change this? 
Because ultimately, to be happy, if we're stuck in one role, it's very unlikely that you're going to have a long-term happy relationship. And uh, and these dynamics are they are really powerful. They're not so easily we don't we note we don't notice them a lot of the time. So that's why again, it's the first step is to kind of really pay attention to what is it that's playing out here when I feel really wound up, angry, upset, frustrated with my partner. Because yeah. the likelihood that you're feeling in one of these particular positions is that is very strong. Yeah, notice where you are and thinking what actions you can take yourself to do something about it. Um, although you may notice where your partner is, don't be too quick to tell them, like, hey, you, you're the victim. Stop being a victim. Yes. <laughs> exactly, that happens. <laughs> yeah, which does happen. So, and again, getting that becomes the persecutor role. It's not, not the best place to be. No. So just noticing where you are and thinking together, how can you do something about it? And very frequently in couples, particularly where there's long-term established patterns, it does help by having somebody outside to help intervene. So that's where a couple's therapist can be really valuable because these patterns become so entrenched, it's difficult to to get out of them. You start discussing them and you get back into the pattern. Mm -hmm. But having somebody who's an expert, um, finding the right person, um, can hopefully help you see these patterns and begin to change them. Absolutely. Good. I think we've come to the end of the line here with our podcast. What do you think? Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And so thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, please press subscribe. And we'd love a review if you could leave us a review. Yes, please. We still haven't got many reviews. Please, people, come on, write us a review. It'd be really helpful. Yeah, and please tune in to the next episode. We look forward to speaking with you then. Yeah, look forward to seeing you then. Take good care. Bye. Bye.